Welcome to Zendesk for Startups Founder Podcast, where we interview top founders and ask them all things customer, growth, retention, expansion. Our goal is to get find out exactly what they did so you can apply those same principles to your seed and Series A company. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, former founder in Silicon Valley VC, and currently work at Zendesk for Startups, managing their VC and startup partnerships here in Silicon Valley. On this episode, you're going to hear from Henry Shuck, co-founder and CEO of Zoom Info. One of the biggest lessons that I heard is the power of not just focusing on product market fit, but remembering that distribution channel and prioritizing your go-to-market fit. As a former entrepreneur, I definitely focused way too much on product market fit and ignored the power of the distribution channel. It's a great episode. You're going to learn a lot. Zendesk for Startups offers six months free use of all things Zendesk for qualified high growth companies. And if you're accepted into the program, you get things like exclusive support, but you also get access to our community of over a thousand customer experience professionals. If you're interested in applying, contact your VC or accelerator. You can also go to zendesk.com startups. For anyone who doesn't know, could you just give like a snapshot of Zoom info? Yeah, so uh, Zoom Info is a go-to-market intelligence platform that provides sales, marketing, and recruiting professionals with the data, technology, and insights that they need to be efficient in the way that they identify their next uh, buyer, their next candidate, that gives them tools and software to know when to engage, how to engage, uh, and the data that they need to actually engage with those buyers uh, and those candidates as well. And today it is... uh, about an $800 million run rate business. And so about 10X the t- uh, since the last time Adam, you and I uh, talked. Uh, and we have about 3,000 employees uh, worldwide and about 25,000 customers today. Man, not bad. And I know we're one of them at Zinda. So I'm, I'm, I was really excited to see that. Just what, how, just a quick, another quick question is like, what was the original product when you first started? Like you just gotten out of college, right? You went like Ohio State University. I think you started it like right after, right? Yeah, so uh, I, I went to college at uh, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I went to law school at Ohio State and started uh, what was then called Discover Oregon that morphed into Zoom Info uh, in 2007 in my law school dorm. And originally, all it really was, you can think of it as like a list of names uh, of people who made IT decisions within companies and then the names of the companies that uh, that that. Uh, that were kind of in the mid-market, we were focused on the mid-market with phone numbers and email addresses. And so conceptually, the foundation of what is the Zoom Info business today is a data asset um, of company information, people information, intent data, locations, hierarchy information. But what we've done over the years is really built an application layer on top of that data foundation. Uh, And what we are really confident about is that modern applications that get used by sellers and marketers should start with a data foundation. And if you build a best-in-class data layer, then building the application layer on top of that gives an immense amount of value to, uh, to sellers and marketers and recruiters. And that's so good. So, I mean, just like taking us back to those early days, because um, most of our listeners are seed and series A founders that are coming into the Zendesk for Startups program. Like what was one of the most impactful strategies or like specific tactics uh, that really helped grow that business? Yeah, I think one of the great things that we had right out of the gates was this really tight product market fit. And mainly because we operated in this niche, like number one, we were selling data on 
IT decision makers at, comp- at mid-market companies. And when you think about the audience for IT decision maker data, it is a very tight niche audience. It's software companies, technology companies, companies that sell technology to IT decision makers. And so because we had that really tight product market fit, we could go a long way through direct marketing. And so out of the gates, we generated all of our appointments, all of our leads were generated through outbound email marketing motions. So we knew who our customers were. We went and said like, okay, just let's find companies who have a value proposition of a product or service that they would sell to the CIO's organization. Those are the only people we want to talk to. And we only want to talk to at those companies, VPs and directors of sales, VPs and directors of marketing at those companies. And so because we had this like really tight grip on our ideal customer profile and who would buy our products and services, we're able to go out and in a really efficient way, attract leads and attract demand to the product. And then I carried a bag for the first six years. Um, And so I was in the lead rotation. And so I would take a lead, I would work it to close. um, I would go through the demo process. I think those six years of really just like call after call, demo after demo, customer after customer, really gave me an incredible foundation to build the company on top of. So whenever I talk to startup founders, I tell them like, do not ignore the go-to-market motion. You need to be in the, you know, you need to be in those meetings. You need to be running those meetings. You'd be running the sales process. There's no better learning than that. You can't like, I get a lot of my value today from listening to chorus calls. So we record our calls on chorus and then I get to listen to them. But navigating those calls and understanding moments that are important, moments that don't matter, all comes from that six years of experience uh, that I had on the front line. That is really interesting. Well, before we dive into that, I want to just talk about that PM, that product market fit. You said it was super tight in the beginning. And I just like, I I think that like you're saying that it it seems light, but like that is no small feat. Can you tell us any more about like how long it took to get to like, hey, we're, we have something tight. Our bucket is not leaking. Yeah. So look, it's interesting. Our bucket was leaking, right? The first few years because, but we were selling so much, we didn't really pay attention to it. And what that really tells you, well, well, let me walk through what happened there. We didn't really understand like customer success or account management. There's so many more resources available to entrepreneurs today who are starting software businesses to understand how to properly organize your account management function, how to invest in your CS function, what the right ratios are. In 2007, there just wasn't a lot of that. Like Jason Lemkin just started posting on Quora like five years into when we, when we founded the company. And, and so we were like, voracious readers of that. But when we started off, the the retention side of our business was broken. And so we were able to sell a lot and we had a lot of capacity to sell up front, but on the back end, we were losing many more customers than we should have been. And what we realized was actually customers that made it through the first year of renewal with us stayed forever. But customers who didn't make it past that first year of renewal, we had a really tough time with. And so what we really did was just went invested in the account management and CS function. You had this product that people saw and they said, yep, I need that. I need that in my business right now. We have the sub 30 day sales cycles. Many of our customers closed in the same day. And so the value was really tangible. 
But then we do have an obligation to deliver on adoption and onboarding and implementation and support throughout the year with our customers. We need to have a relationship with them so that when they're running into problems or they're trying to deal with things internally at the company, we can be someone who helps them and consults to solve those, those problems. And until we really did that, until we really invested in the customer success motion, we didn't, we didn't see the uplift there. Um, and so I think a lot, a big chunk of, of customer success and account management and net retention numbers comes from having a great product, but that is like 50% of the battle. The other 50 is execution on account management, on customer success, on implementation and onboarding and learning and training and support and knowledge bases. Like that's the other 50%. And so like we had the 50%, we had this great product. And then we were kind of like, I don't know, 15% in on the last 50% until really the last kind of, three or four years where Chris Hayes, our president and COO was like, Henry, we don't even have the table stakes on account management and customer success. Customer calls us. Sometimes it takes us three days to call them back. And so of course our customer, our, our net retention rates are not where you want them to be. We need to be, be doing the basics and then we should be doing a lot more there. And so we've invested a lot in that motion. And you know what's funny about that for what it's worth is that people will look at the net retention number now and they'll associate it back to the product. Oh, they have this amazing product. Of course, their net retention rates are that high or they have this really great product. Everybody needs it. So of course their net retention rates are that high, but they weren't always. And it wasn't because of the product. It was just because of the execution on the retention side of things. That is interesting because when we talked last, you know, in 2017, you told me about a customer development rep that you had created yep. this like new title in the industry. Is that, was that part of this like expansion strategy that you had and just like retention strategy? Yeah. And we run that motion still today, which basically is <laughs> um, we have essentially SDRs who sit inside the customer uh, in the customer organization, the account management organization, and they're reaching out to our customers to find opportunities to help them to move them forward or just opportunities where they should be leveraging another part of our product. And then they're setting up meetings for our account managers to, uh, to have those conversations. And that all came because one of our best account managers, I remember walking into her office just on a random Thursday and she was like, not doing anything. And I was like, what other meetings do you have today? She's like, I don't have any meetings left today. Like, Let me see the rest of your week's calendar. They're empty. It's like, this is one of our best account managers and we're just not getting leveraging her the right way. And so I said, well, let's put an SDR. We called it a CDR, customer development rep against her. And let's have that person fill her calendar. I want her to have three, four meetings every day with her customers because that's how we get the most leverage out of her. And that's how we have the best relationships with our customers. And that's evolved. It's a very large team today and it drives a ton of value for us. Oh, that's cool. I mean, what, I mean, is there anything you can share about like what those calls are like? Like, are they 15 minute calls that she would be, that they would be having? Are they 30 minute calls in terms of just, and maybe like some of the questions that they're encouraged to have? Yeah. Like on the account management side or on the, on the CDR side. Well, so the CDR puts the account manager in front of the customer, right? Like they're yep. just scheduling. And then maybe yep. on the account manager side, just like a quick. Yeah. So I'll know. give you an example of something we might see. So like in our product, we get a bunch of telemetry, right? We know what the customers are doing. And so let's say 
We have, uh, and, and actually we do, we have a dashboard that tells us when customers are searching for data that's outside of their access scope, but that we have. And so one of the places where that would happen is on our international data sets. And so a customer comes on, they don't buy our international data, data set. And then all of a sudden they're searching for British Airways and Vodafone and you know whatever else in Europe. And when they cross a certain threshold, the CDR gets a notification one of your customers has searched for two dozen international and European companies, you should reach out to them and set up a conversation to talk about data access to our international data. So they'll reach out, hey, John, I wanted to let you know, you search for British Airways and Vodafone and a number of other European, BT, number of other European-based companies. Let me set up 20 minutes with your account manager so you guys can have a conversation about our, our global data passport. And so it's a number of motions like that, that we run that all get started with kind of a prescriptive data motion that comes from the product that then the CDR runs and then queues up for the account manager. Oh man, that's amazing. I, and this is just offline, but just want to, so we're, we're at time right now. Do you have two extra minutes? If not, I can. Yeah, 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 I do. Yep. Dude, thank Thank you so much. I know. Um, so awesome. The, just like starting back on now, um, I just wanted to double tap in the court in the thing when you talked about chorus and you said that you're still listening to chorus calls. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. The most, that's amazing. It's like what? the most impactful thing that maybe I do at the company. <laughs> well, tell me more. What are you listening for? Like just so that as a founder, we can make sure that we never get away from the go to market motion. Totally. So not one of the things I listen for is competition. Because someone will come into my office and go like, oh my God, I'm hearing this company come up like way more. And like, so one of the things we do is just objectively so that I don't like let emotion guide the product or go to market direction. All of our competitors, we actually track inside of Chorus. And then we have a time series graph for how often they get mentioned on customer calls. And so then we actually know is that, a, is that a thing we should be worried about? Or you just had a bad call and couldn't respond to an objection. So now you're like in my face about it. And then the reality of the situation is when that happens, I can turn around and go like, yeah, I hear you. That company shows up in less than 1% of our calls. That includes our account management calls and all of our new business calls. So let's make sure we're enabled to answer those questions, but I'm not going to go like run a competitive campaign against them because they're just not showing up and they're not particularly increasing uh, frequency on our calls. So, and then I'll go in and listen. Let's say we're going to go into, we do a, we do a bunch of M&A here. And so we've done 12 M&A transactions since 2015. So if we're going to go buy another company and it's going to bring us into a new market, I'm going to go listen to see if in that new market, how many times have those competitors showed up on those calls and what are they saying to us about them? Like, so when we go into that market, we have hundreds of thousands of hours of calls that I can go listen to and understand the customer's perspective about a certain market participant or a competitor in, in, in a space that we're not currently competitive in, but we're about to get competitive in. Um, so that's one. When we roll out new products and services, we enable our sales teams. We feel really great about it. We told them all the stuff, they got certified. And then they go out to market with their certification and their enablement. And oftentimes they completely miss the, the, the core uh, talk tracks that they should be deploying. So that gives us an opportunity to go back and go like, look, we missed here. Let's make the enablement better on these key points. Um, or we actually track the mentions of new products 
across of across all of our calls. And so if we want to sell chorus into the customer base and we're like making a big initiative about it, but the mentions of chorus are not going up across the customer base, then it's not working. Um, and so there's just an insane amount of insights that are available in customer calls that we're constantly leveraging. Oh, that's so good, man. Well, we're, we're done at time. This is incredible, Henry. Boom. Like, thank you. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate hey. you having me on. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned as much as I did. For me, my one, like besides just the go-to-market channel, I really learned about the importance of staying close to your customer and hearing that Henry for so long was carrying a bag as a salesperson is, as well as just listening to those course calls to understand what companies they're competing with and just how their customers are thinking and prospects are thinking. It just, it says a lot about keeping your ear to the ground, even at that high level at an $800 million ARR company. I want to do a shout out to one of our top partners, Mercury Bank. Mercury is a bank built just for startups. You got to check them out, mercury.com. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe. And also next week, I interviewed the founder and CEO of Olo. It's one of the biggest digital ordering platforms in the world. They're now publicly traded. And Noah talks about his story, really how they focused on early adopters and how he thinks about that. It's a great episode.